somehow, some way, the girl that I moved here with was in a very abusive relationship. And she said, I'm gonna go to this meeting. Do you wanna try to go? Cause I gotta figure this out. And I was like, absolutely, where are you going? She was like, tomorrow night, seven o'clock, 70th street, I'll meet you there. Saved her a seat, she never came. And I never left. Green lights and blue skies are on their way. Hey everybody, Corey Raven here. Welcome to Crosstalk. Excited to bring you a terrific episode with a dear friend of mine. She just celebrated 33 years of sobriety, which is something that's no small feat. One day at a time, 33 years is something to be really proud of. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to uh, Wheezy Louise Phillips. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Corey. Thanks so much for having me. I've been hearing all about these very interesting and inspiring episodes, so I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, we keep, we, as we go on, we have more and more exciting people mm. coming on, so you're the, you're the next there you go. explosion of uh, <laughs> uh, calm and sobriety, and, and uh, we're tri- what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people uh, connect with one another, and whether you're in recovery or not, um, the stories that we go through, the lives that we lead, mm-hmm. uh, are instructive for everybody. And so we're hoping to make it so that people can learn something from this and enjoy getting, uh, getting to know somebody else. So, I love it. I right. love it. So in the old days, we used to call it a qualification when somebody shared their story. Started, it starts kind of like where you were, uh, where you went to, what happened, what turns you made, and, mm-hmm. and what's going on now. So I just kind of want to riff a little bit with you. And as we do in Crosstalk, we're, we're allowed to interrupt each other. I love that. It's a good name, right? <laughs> Too much. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah, my daughter actually thought of the name. She said, you know, you're not allowed to do that when you're in meetings. So why not? That's a great name. I so love it. We're doing it. So tell us a little bit about how things started in Wheezy's mm. life. Well, I uh, born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and I can get my accent going right now if I need to and tell you to cut the lights out and sit back and listen and enjoy. But, uh, no, I fell off the boat from Nashville. Um, a- back in the day, we would say that that was a, uh, what was it, when you, when you move, when you, when you move. Transition? No, when, when, when you're running away from yourself, you move. I a geographic. Yes, I did a geographic to New York. But I, uh, I was born and raised in Nashville, and I always was an athlete and a dancer, but I was undiagnosed with dyslexia, which, honestly, till sixth grade, with a 45% reading comprehension, and, you know, if there's nothing more to give the hole that the ism gives us that you want to fill, dyslexia is a, good, is a good, you know, recipe for that to accelerate. Um, you know, I I think that when I read for the first time, which I don't even remember how long it took me to really be quiet enough to read, but um, self-centered fear was something that just I held on to and can remember that I thought my family was going to leave me when we were going to Florida because I didn't know how to tie my shoes. And that was like a memory from a six-year-old. So based on nothing but what was inside myself. 
So um, I think my childhood was a loving one with an amazing family, but trying to find myself was a journey. And when I, you know, had my first drink, I think I was drank a cherry vodka, little pint. How old were you? I was eighth grade and I had an eighth, uh, I was in eighth grade and I had a senior in high school on top of me. So it was kind of like the rest of, uh, need I say more, but, um, you know, I was the life of the party. I mean, you know, still today, people are like, wait a minute, you don't drink? What? Really? You don't drink? Um, but being the life of the party was a distraction from how I actually felt. And, you know, that is a every day um, something that I have an awareness with. And I'm so grateful it's not work anymore. It's not... I'm comfortable in my own skin, and that's taken years. Um, you know, I, I, I used to say I graduated from drinking. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget um, when I would, alone, because ultimately I ended up alone, but I would take the cigarette butts out of the Crown Royal and kind of drop it on and just chug it back until the ashes didn't quite get down. Um. It makes perfect sense. Oof. Just makes my bottom tingle. It's terrible. So you, you <laughs> talked about coming to New York from Nashville, mm. and we were talking about eighth grade. So you didn't come in eighth grade. No, I didn't. I, I, I seemed to hold myself together. I, I was a, quite an athlete, and I was also a dancer. I came to New York to dance. But I really At what also, age were you when you came to New York? I was, after I graduated from college, I had, there's, a, there's a moment in this to, to share that was a really powerful moment that, you know, was a pivotal event that affected my recovery from even today. Um, I was, I went to University of Tennessee. I had a scholarship to dance. I danced for two dance companies. I all of a sudden sort of like all my friends were graduating and I was still slinging drinks and modeling and dancing but really I was I was sort of going sideways and um my mother had fallen and bumped her head and she was anemic and she had a blood transfusion and then had to have a liver transplant and so at 63 years old, she was probably the youngest, second youngest person to have a liver transplant, and she was in Pittsburgh. So we were all, my brother, sister, and I, and my dad. My dad went in August and didn't come home for almost five months, four months, and didn't come home with mom. So and, she, and how old were you at this time? I was in my 20s. I was 21, and um, I would go... I would go and visit my mom in the hospital in intensive care, and they would do rounds, and they would have to wake me up and say, excuse me, we need to, we need to see your mom. And I would be asleep in her bed in intensive care. Um, I made a decision January 27th to not go see her in the hospital. I decided to go to a party in Gatlinburg, and my mom died that weekend, that night. And I drove in a blizzard home in Nashville, drunk, high, and I don't. I I just waited for my dad and my my sister 
to fly home with mom. And, you know, fast forward, I ultimately decided to move to New York four months later. And, so um, you're in your, your early 20s. Mm -hmm. You finish college. I finish college. You leave Tennessee after mom dies, mm -hmm. and you come to New York. They are in Nashville. I was in Knoxville, and I needed to get away from the cocaine dealers that I had discovered. And so I moved to New York. Geographic. Geographic. My brother was here, and uh, so I was excited to be in the same city with him. He actually gave me his apartment and he moved in with a friend. And within eight days, I had cab drivers delivering me cocaine. So in the way that we manifest things, for better or worse, I was able to continue on my road. Um, you Can know, I, I just want to say for anybody who doesn't know, a geographic is something where you think that by leaving where you are, where things stink, Going someplace else, everything will be better. Yes. And the notion is is that when we leave that place and go to the next place, we bring ourselves, and yes. we do the same things, we see the same people, we go to the same places, and nothing changes. So what you just described is a perfect example of a geographic. There you go. Well, I always try to be an overachiever in things. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, I, I, I could... You know, the, the journey continues, but at some point, what I will say is that I went from being a healthy individual to weighing 119 pounds. I didn't have a period for two and a half years. I would have eight-day runs. I was around machine guns and all kinds of characters that, you know, it's when I talk about it in meetings, if I'm qualifying, I, I feel like I truly have an out-of-body. It's like I'm, I'm talking about somebody that's not me, a, a lost little child, a lost person. And um, I'm not quite sure, but somehow, some way, the girl that I moved here with said, and she was in a very abusive relationship, and she said, I'm going to go to this meeting. Do you want to try to go? Because i I, I got to figure this out. Because i I got to... Did somebody say that to you? She said, that to, she said this to me. And I was her name was Mary Catherine. And I was like, absolutely. Where are you going? She was like, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, 70th Street. I'll meet you there. Saved her a seat. She never came. And I never left. And... Um, was that the St. Jude's meeting? That's uh, Hargrave. Okay. Um, maybe it's 71st, 71st. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I remember l the guy sitting next to me raised his hand and said he had eight days. And I'm looking at, um, I had a little notebook, which I still have. I cannot read the handwriting, just to be clear. And I'm thinking eight days, and then I wrote seven days, one, that's one week, one day, 11 hours. I, I, I couldn't even calculate. That seemed like a lifetime. Right. And, and then somebody had 38 days, and that was just beyond. And I'm sure there were people that had 30 years, but they were invisible to me because that was just, they weren't real. Um, and I, you know, <laughs> I love this where I, ha I felt like I was in the only meeting that had a sponsorship program. 
this woman saying, you know, we have a sponsorship program and, you know, if you, if you need a sponsor, just come up here and talk to me afterwards. And I went up there and I was like, I'd like to have an application for a sponsor. <laughs> I'd like to have an application for a sponsor. And she was like, oh, no, no. Well, do you have a, your checkbook? And I was like, I don't have any money. She said, well, you can clean my apartment once a week. She's like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But honestly... <laughs> I would have cleaned her apartment. I would have given her a check that would have bounced. I would right. have done anything. Right. And uh, you know, I I didn't ever I didn't ever feel like I was home. But I, there was some there was what I understood to be grace was that I didn't feel like drugging or drinking. That was had nothing to do with me. And it was it was so powerful in, in hindsight when I, you know, if I ever think I can't do something, I think about that moment. That's really, um, it's just, it's, it's miraculous, you know, and, and, and I think about RJ and Paul and all these people that I counted days with that are no longer with, you know, they're, or, or Jimmy, who I went to a meeting two years ago and he's still counting and I'm thinking, how does somebody do that? for 30 years and I'm like there but for the grace of God go I you know yep. and I don't know I'm not quite sure why I stopped asking but I guess my work's not done you know um, I had on my 94th day I uh, my brother was was diagnosed with full blown AIDS and you know I, I I had this immediate connection that God was giving me a chance to do something different. I'm going to probably start crying. Um, because I still today, and I had an amazing relationship with my mom, but I I mourn who I wasn't to her in those days. And I celebrate who I was to my brother. And so in losing my brother and the only thing he was afraid of and he was sober and I mean he was on 59 medications but um, at the end it was really all he was afraid of was dying alone and that was a gift that I thought I was giving him but the gift that I got was so amazing so you know those are moments in my sobriety that remind me that there's nothing I can't do you know, and if I just show up, grace is there. The incredible thing is what we really get from taking care of ourselves is the ability to give. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's really what makes life worth living. Not mm. what we're able to grab, but we're able to give people. And you do it every day. Um, it's interesting. Well, you know, I had this, I'm in a business that's commission only, and... You know, I was so excited when I was slinging drinks and somebody was like, you'd be really good in real estate. And I was like, oh, she was like, call my friend. And I went and called her friend. Not sure how I showed up, but I called her friend. I got a job. I told my brother, I got a job in real estate. He's like, you know, it's commission only. I was like, Ooh, no, I didn't. So, you know, I made $8,400 my first year in real estate. Keep coming back. But... But what happened for me in recovery was that being of service 
translated. And the moment I realized that I could be an educator in my business and I could be of service, then it wasn't about me. And it didn't matter. Just put your one foot in front of the other and show up for them. Because it was not easy for me to show up for me. Even though I was doing it, it, it didn't feel the same. It felt easier to care for somebody else than for myself. And in doing that, you get your own self-care. I identify a lot with that because for, I don't know, for 40 years, I've represented <clears throat> people doing the things that you do with them, which is uh, folks that are buying and selling New York City real estate. And when I went to a closing table and I was able to affect the transaction and finish the job that the broker started, I forgot that I was getting a check, that I was getting paid. <laughs> yeah. It was always felt like, yeah. oh, yeah, I get this. Isn't that nice? Yeah. But the, you put the person first, you give first. Uh, if you focus on that, it's really it's hard. No, make no mistake, it's work. But it feels like less of a job when yeah, your sure. real intention is to try to help somebody get what they, they're looking for, what they need. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that those, are, those are, are lessons. You know, I think when you have obstacles, you know, I had a lot of trouble going back to meetings um, after I went through my experience with my brother. He died in 1993, and I got sober in 1990. And, you know, I had no boundaries. Like, I just regurgitated everything, the deepest secrets between my brother and I that were probably inappropriate and too much information. And so, and, and, and through that vulnerability, as you know, there's this amazing magic that happens when people are just raw. And that love and that people identifying um, with your pain was incredibly consoling. However, when I was in that bubble with my brother for the last five days of his life, when he said, I'm ready, come home, I'm going to start morphine. This is, you know, I was living with AIDS. I'm not living with AIDS. This is not living. And he was ready to go. And I, he hallucinated every important person in his life. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. His Eagle Scout teacher, his eighth grade English teacher, his first lover, you know, just every my mother my father my sister me and his business partner and i was like in the bubble with him going through his life and the lives that he touched and when i came back to meetings afterwards people were like i felt like right here i'm like whoa hold on so that was kind of an interesting process for me and and I still have to um, I still have to have my feet take me to meetings. I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to go the way I went in those days, where it was three a day, because I also feel very strongly that it's a bridge back to life, and and the best version of myself is is living out loud with all the gifts that the faces in those rooms gave me through those years and give me today. Right. Well, connecting <clears throat> what you're describing is like the transparency that you show. Mm. Um, we, we don't know each other for a hundred years. 
I've known each other like for it. a couple of years. It's true. <laughs> but, you know, you were out there instantly. Mm. And so it's so easy to connect with you mm. because you're not full of shit. You just, you are wheezy. This is me. And if you love me, great. If you don't love me, that's okay, not too. everybody's cup of tea. Exactly. I'm a lot. But, but you know what? I, I, I live very unapologetically um, in, in a tolerant manner, meaning I do try to be sensitive when somebody is uncomfortable around bigness. Mm-hmm. Try to tone it down. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think we're, it's so true how, how, how short of a time we are here. And I wish I was better about not sweating the small shit. Um, um, and I think I still, I still have, my ism is present in all my affairs if I'm aware um, you know, I get wound up. I, I was not, I was diagnosed to be ADD, um, HDAD or whatever that's called, um, in my fifties when I was taking my son. So maybe it was actually, I was like 48. Um, you know, and I remember the talking about my son possibly being, having ADD and medication and you know, and I was like, ah, I don't, I don't really want to do this. I'm, I'm trying not to live with any medication, and you know, and so she was like, you know, if you think of a rope, and it, and it sags, and that, you know, you're like this. You're taught all the time, and the self care, and those are the words she used. The self care you will give yourself if you allow yourself for that rope to be more relaxed, and you have more time to process. I was like. Bing. you know um, so that was another process of figuring out what's right for you for myself in being medicated you know I'm not, not so so right now um, you 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 work more than full time yes and you're involved in a lot of different things what are the things that on a day you know the, the, the what I'm trying to get across he's going to do a blooper reel of me fumfering. Fump, fump, fump. Yeah, because okay. I, I sometimes can't get the words out properly. Uh, what are the kind of things that you learned from going from being an active addiction to getting sober mm. that help you today? Um, the reason I'm asking is I'm wondering if some of the things that people are looking for, like what, is, what exactly uh, does sobriety look like? On a, you know, you're not going to three meetings a day anymore. Mm. How do you handle issues? What are some of the, the things that you draw on that help you get through all of the stuff that happens? This is a crazy world we're in. Yeah. It's crazy outside, and it's crazy inside sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I know you have a family. You have great boys. Amazing. and uh, So tell us a little bit about how you are together today. What are those, some of those things that you, you use? What have you learned? Well, I... I am not a very good meditator, I'll just tell you that, because I'm literally still today like this. Right. It's still oh, it's only two it's moving. Minutes. It's always moving. Yeah. But but my favorite place to be, and this is a place where I was when when I I do want to tell a story about when I was counting my days. I left my apartment. I didn't have a cell phone at the time, that's how old I am. Uh and I had to go to a payphone. I had left my house. I was like six blocks from my house. And I forgot to wear underwear. 
and I called my sponsor on the on, on the payphone, and I was like, Barbara, I, I'm I'm not in my apartment, and I don't have any underwear on. She was like, Do you have time to go back home and get your underwear and put them on? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but. That was one of the advices that she gave me, but the other, one of the great thing was for me, I couldn't sit with myself. I really, it was painful for me to sit. The amount of shame, sorry about my looping, the amount of shame that I felt around not showing up for my mom, I, I literally used to sit in the shower and rock and rock, and I would run out of hot water, I would be in cold water, but it's how and where I found peace were quiet. Um, and I still kind of retreat to that every once in a while. And um, just to try to slow myself down and my mind and my breathing. Um, how, what does it look like every day? I mean, listen, my family give me purpose. Um, you know, a reason, you know, to make good choices every day because I want to be here as long as I can to soak up every minute because my husband just makes me a better person. I can't take those freaking drug addict shortcuts ever. It's annoying. But I always refer, because he really elevates me to be the best version of myself. And I would say that that's true for, for my boys as well. Um, we don't get a roadmap when we raise our kids. You know, there's no map that tells you. So I've made a million mistakes. And, um, and, I, and I guess, you know, when you, when you see individuals that you touch and impact their lives, and I can see my recovery in them, our conversations and how we speak, um, and then I see my moments where I'm imperfect and I don't have the patience and I'm intolerant and I'm, my feelings get hurt. I mean, I still have that. I'm really sensitive when my kids make fun of me and I'm not prepared for them to make fun of me, which is kind of funny because I'm kind of a funny person. But I'm sensitive about a certain things. And, um, and that, that's my ism. I, it's still tucked in there, you know, molecularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to get away from it. I just have to know it's there and know when the difference between what's, what's the truth and what's not. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> there are certain things... There are certain things that I notice about myself that um, aren't different. And, but you kind of can say, oh, yeah, and that. Mm. And not have it create a situation where you've got to go do something about it. Mm-hmm. Just know that I'm a human being, which by definition means it isn't the perfect thing. Right, right. Uh, and I, I, when I was just talking to somebody recently about, in fact, when I go to some celebration or party, there's something that doesn't allow me to jump in fully and completely, as I am right here with, with you. But maybe it's the dancing thing. Maybe it's being a little embarrassed that I won't look that good on the dance floor. I'm not sure what it is. But <laughs> the celebration, the dancing thing, triggers some kind of self-consciousness that I don't feel in other, mm. other venues, other, other areas. <clears throat> but I know it's there, but I also know it's okay. Right, yeah. I mean, we can we can uh, give ourselves a little uh, a little reprieve, uh, and also make. I mean, I poke at myself all the time, although it's still it's still uh, an, an interesting one when my kids are when my when the three of them are all giving me a hard time about something. I 
it all of a sudden stops being funny. And I don't like that. I wish I could just let it roll off my back. It's like learning how to not sweat the small shit all the time. But um, what does life look like sober? I mean, listen, it's um, trying to live in, in, in my truth and to be enough, enough for me, which, you know, uh, and being worthy of, of embracing all the blessings that I have, which is there's so much abundance, which is nice when you get to a place where you just have faith that there's abundance, um, as particularly if you live generously. You know, I always try in my profession to be generous with my knowledge and to um, live truthfully. And, you know, we always talk about sort of transparency and rigorous, you know, uh, being... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Rigorously honest? I guess rigorously honest and, and also try not to make it about me. Mm-hmm. And if it's, if it's truly accepting of whatever somebody's process is, then you don't ever get disappointed. You, just, you are immediately able to just let people be where they are. And, you know, in, from my, you know, the, the wisdom of self-acceptance and understanding what self-centered fear is, you can then identify it in other individuals and have empathy for them instead of ego, pissed off and whatever. Right. You know. Um, so gratitude is a big part mm. of how you stay balanced. Yes. I mean, I, I think every single morning, I, I mean, more and more as I'm in my 60s, I... I'm so grateful for my health, and I, I think of all the individuals that, um, you know, are just how we wake up each day with just being grateful to be alive and grateful to say good morning to people and, and the people that are in my life, and I, I just feel blessed in so many ways, and I... There's not enough time to pay it forward, you know. You know, we take for granted, I take for granted the fact that I'm going to get up in the morning and that the plans that I have for the day are going to unfold exactly as I expect them to. It doesn't go that way. Mm. Um, I woke up this morning to a phone call to find out that a childhood friend of mine Mm. who was um, very... Um, let's say, passionate about everything in life. He was everybody's go-to guy to fix things. And when he couldn't fix something, he would call me to ask for help to fix something. Well, he saw what happened in Israel on October 7th. He immediately made a beeline from New York to Israel. And apparently what he saw there was so horrific that um, they just told me this morning that he passed away. And we don't know the circumstances of it, but um, the the last person I would have expected, and this this guy was a guy who helped everybody. I mean, when something bad happened, he wouldn't be just, he'd go make a condolence call, go to the wake. Uh, 
he would follow up with that person every day for months. He was insane, really, but he was a special person. And what happened, uh, his parents were Holocaust survivors, and he felt very compelled to go right. there. And I guess what he saw was... Broken was heart. Yeah, I don't exactly know what happened, but I'm devastated by I'm the so lo his loss. Everything doesn't have to be the way we expect it to be. Everything's not going to be. To be able to do this today and mm -hmm. sit with you and know that... I'm doing the best thing I can do, which hopefully is going to give back to other people to be able to bring your uh, story and your journey to other people. That's the best thing we can do is to reach out, reach our hand stay out. Yeah, and, and that's how we're going to stay sober, and that's how we're going to stay uh, comfortable in our own skin. It's, but yeah. you know, gratitude is something that, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for having had him as a friend I'm grateful to, for having been able to help him through a lot of different things. And hopefully I can carry on his uh, legacy of uh, reaching out and helping other people. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm constantly reminded how short our time is here and how much work we have. You know, and I, I, I use the word work. It's not work. It's, it's service. It's, it's, you know... I can't change the world, but I can make a difference in the world around me, one person at a time, one moment at a time. I, I love the story my mom shared with me, and she said that every interaction that you have with an individual, the blessing is that you have something to give that person and you have something to learn from that person. So it might be smiling. I, I you know, she... She, uh, it might be smiling at the, the, the garbage, the sanitation guy and saying, thank you so much, have a great day, to some great wisdom that, that you may gain or give a child or, you know, I learn a lot from my children. But it's, it's really in, in, in being open to those moments is how the fabric of ourselves are woven, you know. Yeah, there's a an author that I've read. He's he's gone about 20 years. He was on the Letterman show and that a guy named Leo Boseglia. I think mm -hmm. I'm pronouncing it right. I've done a couple of reels on things. He says never underestimate the importance of a, a gentle touch, a you know saying something nice to someone, being kind to somebody, and the impact that that has mm -hmm. on the person ultimately on on everybody that you deal with. Just being kind and open, and what, yeah. you, what, you, what your mom described is exactly what, what he talked about in one of his books about love. Love that. I, um, I, I, you know, I've had a lot of loss. I shared also, you know, I lost my mom and then I lost my brother. I had a boyfriend who passed away when I was in my 30s. And I met my husband on a blind date, um, you know, and 10 days later, my, my, my dad passed away on the exact day, 20 minutes from the exact moment my mom died. And I always like to say that my mama sent me my angel and took back hers. But, you know, when it, 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 it's, it's interesting through these journeys of, of losses, I think that I used to find that I would be disappointed when I had such expectations for people to show up a certain way that I realized, and my sponsor said to me, he's like, you know, but what, what, what happens is, is that somebody else's purpose is fulfilled by being able to show up the way they show up, which would be my expectation. Um, so I, I feel a little bit like through recovery, I've had these individuals that weren't family. They were 
They were people who, ironically, I didn't know very well that showed up in a way that I could receive them, but most importantly, that they could be there. That that's somebody's purpose being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so I just find that uh, there's grace all around us if, we're, if we allow it to be seen. And those people that we lose, while they're not here and we can't pick up the phone or invite them over, they're still right here with us. Mm-hmm. They're part of us. They're, they're part of who we are. Yep. And over a period of time, what I've found is all of those people that we've lost end up being very present and in a form that actually makes me feel good. Mm. Um, that said, uh, you know, I would prefer to, that they still be here, <laughs> but, you know, can't, <laughs> can't have it our way all the time, yeah, right? So truly. So let's see. What are the um, things that... Uh, what else, what other moments of things can I share with you? Well, I think uh, from a, a timeline standpoint, when we edit the video, sometimes we go from, we take pieces from different spots of the interview. Mm-hmm. So we started out very, very briefly uh, from your childhood. Yes. Went immediately to New, I, New well, York. I accelerated because there's a lot of drugging and a lot of drinking, a lot of darts. Right. Let's see, some of them hit, some of them didn't, some, some hit the wrong targets. No, I, I used to play darts and backgammon, backgammon for days with my brother. Thinking about, you know, the, the, the start to the finish, so to speak, of finish being where we are today. Mm-hmm. Is there anything along the way that you think you'd like to uh, make sure we include that, uh, you know, you, you kind of just blew past? Uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, listen, I, I, I think that... In, you know, my recovery was slow. <laughs> it was slow, and it was bumpy, and it was not attractive. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 no, I don't. I think that really the the things that are so, I really don't know how I was able to not drug or drink. I don't know how I didn't do it. I didn't go to a, a recovery center. I didn't. Right. And I, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know if I have a, another one in me, you know. And I, and, and I think about Jimmy, who works in the theaters. He's in the union. And I'm good to Irish boy. And he is still out there. He's put together two years and three years and one year and 18 months and two days. And, but God bless him, he keeps coming back. I'm just grateful that I... I am day at a time. I don't think I, if I know what I know now and I went out, I don't know if I'd let myself come back. It's too much information. I, I put together a, a long time and then because of some cir- circumstances, you know, illnesses, surgeries, I relapsed. Mm. And I spent. You shared that with me. Yeah. And uh, I know how the movie ends now. <laughs> I don't need to do it again. So uh, I've kind of, I've kind of went through um, hell, mm. got sober, went through hell again. I don't need that anymore. I know how it, it ends. It's not right. pretty. I'm sure I know who I am. I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. Mm. And if to the extent that I can tell you that it's the same, you don't need to bother. Right. Uh, I always, you know, you got sober when you were rather young. 
as did I. I always thought, you know, maybe I took this whole sober thing a little bit too far. I was just a crazy kid. Now, now you yeah. know, everything is so great or whatever. Now it can't possibly be like that. Well, it is. It's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly what the it's ism, like. The ism, the ism, the ism, the ism. Yeah, always wondering. I don't wonder anymore. Not today. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that um, I am trying to think about funny moments in my recovery. Um, that my red hair was a, was a, was a bummer. It was a, a fire engine red? Fire engine red, and I think part of it fell out. <laughs> and that's when you first came to meetings in the early I, 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, was, yeah, and I, I mean, I lived on 30 bucks a week. I don't know how. I don't know how I did what I did. And, you know, I, I always, when I teach in, in my business, uh, and I sort of try to give back in the industry, and I'm like, okay, everybody close your eyes. I just want you to have a vision of me. I was like, green cowboy boots, prairie skirt, unitard with shoulder pads. And you you were selling real estate <laughs> yes. at the time. I can see God that. God bless her. God bless her, I said to the to that little girl back there. Anyway, as it relates to recovery, there is a massive road 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 map but with massive amount of individuals mm-hmm. that we get that gift of one foot in front of the other. I mean, I, I the old timers used to say, like, you don't want sugar? Just put more sugar in there. Just keep coming back. Here's more sugar. Have more coffee. Have more sugar. I didn't drink coffee before I got sober. Right. Yeah. Let's not talk about that. Is and in those days, cigarette smoking was permitted in meetings. So, you know, you needed a gas mask to be able to sit in the meeting. <laughs> Yes. But you're right. There, there is a roadmap there is a for road getting map. sober. Uh, the larger picture of, you know, those, all those other issues, family, work, uh, health, there, you know, there's, there's a lot of guidance out there. But, you know, you have to kind of, it's a, it's a uh, trial and error. But with sobriety, if you follow what has worked for other people, mm-hmm. you definitely, uh, it, this is and not. And there's, m- there's a fair amount of take what you need and leave the rest, you know. Right. Um, but, yeah. I, I, I take that into my professional life. Take yeah. what you need and leave the rest. Right. Well, it's so. interesting. You, the, the thing is, is that doing this, it's great when you and I are sitting here and today picking up a drink or a drug is not something that mm. really is on our mind. It's yeah. no longer really the issue. But at the beginning, it's really hard to yeah. make that change to think that there is another way. Mm-hmm. But you're living and breathing proof that uh, there is living another proof. way. Well... I used to hang out at this blues club called Manny's Car Wash. I don't know if you remember it. Don't remember. I worked it. there, but the sound guy was sober, and my sponsor was like, "If you go to the barber shop every night, you're eventually going to get a haircut." And I was like, "I didn't quite understand that," but she was like, "You shouldn't hang out in a bar." Um, however, he was giant. Joe must have, he had like nine years and he must have been 350 pounds and 6'6". Six, six. And I felt the safest. And I just sat back with him inside his little sound system and listened to some amazing blues. So that was what I did after I got out of the shower rocking for three hours. Right, you were rocking in the booth. <laughs> yeah, you know, you really don't, I mean, I really did not know how to live. I did not know 
how to put one foot in front of the other. And thank God there were so many people that were like my guardrails, you know. Right. Well, I'm grateful for your uh, being with us. It's really fun to, to get to know you a little bit better. And, uh, you know, your, your story is as compelling as it gets for, you know, how you can still have yourself and still have things that you, you work on every day, situations that don't really uh, make you feel great, you know, the stuff with, with your family when, when, you know, you end up feeling like you're the object of, right. uh, you know, of, of any kind of teasing or whatever, uh, or, or just the, uh, the, the, who we are. It doesn't mean we have to change how we feel. We just have to deal with what we're feeling. Talk about it and... Feel it, fuck it, file it. Good. I like it. That's going to be our new <laughs> thing. Feel it, fuck it, file it. Love it. Live by that. That is the perfect exclamation point on this interview. <laughs> on that note, drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you, sweetheart. Give me a hug. we got to take a picture, ah. too. Oh, the best.